If you have a piece of paper, you should have your lyric sheet. I don't know if everybody has a pencil, but if you have a pencil or a pen, go ahead and grab it. Um, if not, just pretend like you're doing it. Um, and flip over your paper and just draw a triangle, if you don't mind. So draw a triangle. I don't know if you guys remember. A triangle has three sides, okay, in case you're new to that, right? And uh, at, the, at one of the, the top peak of the triangle, I just want you to write the word God. At one of the others, I want you to write the word church. And at one of the other peaks, I want you to write the word mission. God, church, and mission. Those three things. Um, in, our, in our worship center that we're letting go of, on the back wall, there's a big chalkboard wall, and that's drawn in chalk. And it's talking about how this is the DNA of what it means to be a disciple on a very simple level. Some of you math nerds might know what a fractal is. A fractal is basically a shape that expands out, and so you can have a triangle that, and you just keep building triangles on it until it turns into a bigger triangle. Same thing can be done with basically any shape, you know, a bunch of squares lined up. But the idea here of connecting with these three, uh, these three core pieces, connecting with God, connecting with God's mission, connecting with God's people, the church, this is the DNA of being a disciple. Um, I think I said a couple weeks ago, it's kind of like the wheels on a car. And if one wheel goes flat, the car stops moving. If you remove any one of those pieces from your walk with Jesus, your walk gets choked out. You can't have a DNA of discipleship and the DNA of being a Christ follower if you eliminate connecting with God, feeding on the, the word and the spirit. You can't be a strong disciple of Jesus if you're not engaging the mission. Now, the mission happens in various forms but it is why we're here. And you can't be a strong follower of Jesus if you're not connecting in community with God's people for encouragement and accountability and obedience to the scripture. But for those of you guys who know me, I am constantly tweaking. Matter of fact, it's funny. I'm on a, a board of directors. It's, not, it's called a facilitation team um, for an organization called 2414 now. And... Uh, and on that board, they made us take a bunch of personality profiles, and everybody got, like, their profile back. And, um, you know, everybody else had, like, really cool names for theirs. It was like, the Maverick. <laughs> you know how this guy's, the Captain. And then I got mine back, and it was like, the Analyst. <laughs> and everybody was reading, you know, the various reports, and one of the guys said, so basically Bill is like C-3PO when you read the description of the analyst and uh, which is why I'm just a pessimist and I'm always telling you the odds of surviving in an asteroid field <laughs> so we just we've been using this triangle for the last few years and some of you guys who have done some leadership coaching with me sometimes I'll take that triangle out and I'll ask you where you feel like you're weak and these kinds of ideas but there was always felt like there was a missing piece to that and I think the missing piece is what we're going to talk about today and that's in the middle of that triangle. I just want you to draw a heart. Because all of that stuff, without the right posture of your heart, is just being a Pharisee. If you don't have the right heart, it's just being a Pharisee. And today is all about that centerpiece. Um, you know, this is one of those things that I've been thinking about for 20 years. 20 years, I became a follower of Jesus. 20 years ago, I've been walking with Jesus. It's 20 years in the word and in prayer. 20 years striving to figure out what it means 
And so today, that's what we're talking about. The topic is death before resurrection. Death before resurrection. A couple things I want you to realize. The first thing is this. The Christian life begins with a call to die. The Christian life begins with a call to die. Luke chapter 9, verses 23 to 26. This is what we read. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Luke 9, 23, 26. You realize as you listen to those verses that following Christ, the Christ-following life is a paradox. Paradox, two things that seem to contradict one another. You see, to follow Jesus, Jesus says right here, you have to deny yourself and die. That's what he says. Deny yourself and take up his cross. Your bad back is not your cross. He says, take up, your take up your cross. In other words, die. Take up your shame. Deny yourself. Embrace the shame and go and die. Do this and you will live. If you refuse to deny yourself, then what will you do? Well, you will do what you want to do. And you will basically preserve yourself. So that's the opposite of what Jesus is saying. He's saying, deny yourself and die. The alternative of that is to not deny yourself, which is to do whatever I want to do. I care about that. I want to do it. I want that. I'm going to buy it. That's doing whatever you want to do. It's preserving yourself. But Jesus says that culminates ultimately in eternal death. That kind of behavior is short-sighted. It's driven by what I want right now. The invitation to follow Jesus is to die. Now, from our vantage point, this is how the journey begins. Now, it actually began with an invitation to come and see, but it progresses to this crisis invitation of come and die. You see, the invitation to follow Jesus is not ask me into your heart. The invitation to Jesus is not pray this prayer. It's not even believe in me as if Jesus were a higher level version of the tooth fairy. Jesus invites us to die to ourselves, which is to die to our own lordship, to die to our sins, and live. The second point is this. Our new reality as dead men walking. Our new reality is that of a man dead to sin, but spiritually alive in Jesus, waiting for resurrection. Romans 6, 5 to 11 says, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, 
we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Why, Paul? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Why? So that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all not crucified week after week in the Eucharist, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So, conclusive thought, therefore, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. See, we have a tendency to think that the journey of the Christian life ends at the cross, it begins at the cross. The cross is where it begins. With your death, your burial, his resurrection, you are united with Christ in his death. You are united with Christ. I am united with Christ in his death by faith. I am no longer enslaved to sin, but I will be resurrected one day. Not yet. He is resurrected as the first fruit. I will be resurrected one day. And so today... I'm dead, but not resurrected. So in other words, I'm caught between two worlds. Already, not yet. Therefore, today, I need to consider myself dead to sin and live for Jesus. Galatians 2.20 summarizes it this way. I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, this is the, don't, don't lose me, guys. I am going somewhere. This is the entirety of the Christian life caught between two worlds, dead to one world, alive to the other, but not yet fully consummated. So today, I live by faith, trusting that I am dead to sin, trusting that I am alive in Jesus, that he loves me, that he gave himself for me, that he will resurrect me, and now I live in light of that. And this brings us to our third point. Our journey does not end at the crucifixion of self at the cross with Jesus. That's what is accomplished spiritually on the cross. Our journey does not end at the crucifixion of self at the cross with Jesus. It is there that our journey begins with an invitation to die that we might live, which continues daily. Let me read you a couple passages and then flesh this out. Romans 6 12 to 14, in light of the fact that I am dead and waiting resurrecting, re resurrection, in light of the fact that I consider myself dead today, Paul continues, therefore, let not 
sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Why? Because you're dead to sin. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Why? Because you're dead to sin. But present yourselves instead to God as those who have been brought from death to life. You say, but I'm not brought from death to life yet, but you will be. And so in this in-between stage where you're dead to sin and awaiting resurrection, present yourselves to God instead of to sin, instead of yourself. Deny yourself daily Take up your cross and live for him. Deny what you want in the flesh because the flesh is against everything that the spirit wants to accomplish in and through you. And instead, present yourself to God as instruments for righteousness. Why? See, that's what I love about Romans. You just keep asking the question, why? And then read the next verse. Why? Because sin will have no dominion over you. Why? Because you are not under the law, you're under grace. This is why Paul's argument culminates with Romans 12, 1 and 2, when he says this, I appeal to you, therefore. What does he mean by therefore? Chapters 1 through 11. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, which he just unpacked for 11 chapters, present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Interesting choice of words. Because sacrifices are normally what? Dead. But, are, but you're dead but alive. So you're a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. Why is it holy and acceptable to God? Because of Jesus, what he did, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Three words there worth noting. Your mind, by testing, and by discerning. Where does all of that take place? Right there. That's where it takes place. It's very active. Testing. Discerning. This is not spiritual mysticism where once you meditate enough, you hit a higher plane of Holy Spirit euphoria, and now all of a sudden you are filled with the Spirit. It is the renewal of your mind through testing and discerning. As Paul says elsewhere, it's practice. It's practice. Philippians 3, chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever gain... I had, I counted as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. That word in the Greek is crapola, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In order that I may gain Christ, be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, 
I might attain the resurrection from the dead. It's kind of a strange way to put that, isn't it? By any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead. You realize I could, I could literally read sections from every single thing Paul wrote. Because this is Paul's pattern. Now he talks in, uh, I think it's 2 Timothy, about the pattern of his teaching. This is the pattern of his teaching. This is the pattern of Paul's teaching. In Ephesians chapter 1, he prays. Anybody remember what he prays for? He prays that they would know the power, the dynamic, dynamite power that raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, he prays that they would know the power of what? The resurrection. That they would become like him. That they would know him. In 1 Timothy, or in 2 Timothy chapter 1, he says, God did not give you a spirit of fear or timidity, but a a spirit of what? Of power. Of love. Of self-discipline. A spirit of power. Paul wants his readers to know the power of the resurrection. The power that gives them victory over sin. The power that gives them love. The power that gives them self-discipline. The power that gives them grace in the moment to get through a trial. Do you want that power? I mean, have you sat around stuck in the same sin for five years and said, why can't I beat this? Do you want that power? All right, I'm going to tell you the secret. What comes before resurrection? Death. Everybody wants to get resurrected Nobody wants to die. We beg the Lord, take this sin away from me. But what we don't do is what? We don't choose death. I'm going to tell you the secret. The normal Christian life is a life given over to many daily deaths. Dying to your comfort. Dying to your goals. Dying to your convenience. Dying to your success. Dying to your pleasure. Dying to your approval. Dying to your comfort, dying to your resentment, dying to your grumpiness, dying to your cynicism, dying to your despair. See, when we grow furious, when we grow impatient with our kids, it is because something, not them, needs to die. Something in me. When I lose my patience and I have a disproportionate emotional response, it's because something in me needs to die. And instead, I say, gosh, why can't I just, why can't I just not be like this? And I want the resurrection power, but before I get the resurrection power, what do I need to choose? You have to choose death. When we crave the comfort of the world over Christ, Something needs to die. And we say, Jesus, I just pray that you would comfort me as we turn to every other thing in the world to comfort us. And we say, I don't know why I don't feel comforted. 
because you wanted the power of the resurrection, but you didn't choose death. And you're not going to experience resurrection power if you don't first choose death. See, that's what we do. Isn't it? I mean, I'm not the only one who does this, right? We say, I want the victory. I want the power. I want all of that stuff. I want the more than conquer. I want the glory. But first, you have to die. When we crave the power of the world over submission to Christ, something needs to die. When we crave control over surrender, something needs to die. That's why Paul says you're a living sacrifice. Crawl up on the altar and die. Die a thousand deaths. Because the Christian life is to grow more like Jesus as you die and die and die and die and die. Why? So that we might experience the power of the resurrection, not just then, but today. Which leads me to the next point. But the old man, that's me, not your grandpa, the old man does not die with ease. He kicks and screams as the flesh comes burning off. Hebrews chapter 4 says, let us therefore strive what an active word. Let us strive to enter the rest, that's in Jesus, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And then Paul, or whoever wrote Hebrews, open to personal opinion, Paul wrote later, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and our God is a consuming fire. And he says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And this is what I want you to picture in your brain. The journey begins at the cross. And you cross that threshold. Oh, I just had a thought. It's not in my notes. Gina was reading the book of Judges a couple days ago. And in this very strange encounter, you find Gideon. And Gideon encounters the angel of the Lord, which typically in the Old Testament is Jesus. But he also encounters Yahweh. And so in this exchange, Yahweh and the angel of the Lord are both with Gideon at the same time. It's a very strange, unusual thing. And so Gideon says, hold on a second, I'm going to make everybody a snack. And he runs inside. And he comes back out to food, but the angel of the Lord disappears. And as soon as the angel of the Lord disappears, do you know what Gideon does? He falls face to face on his floor, on, uh, he face on the floor because he's afraid he's going to get killed. Because when the angel of the Lord, Jesus, was there, there was a mediator between Gideon and the presence of God. And once the angel of the Lord, Jesus, stepped out of the picture, the mediator was gone. No longer was he encountering the radiance of the glory of God, like it says in Hebrews 1, but he was encountering the presence of God, and he couldn't handle it. Jesus is crucified. And as we walk past that 
threshold of the cross and we begin walking with Jesus as our mediator, we get closer and closer and closer to the Father who is an all-consuming fire. And I was picturing in my mind this week that as you walk closer and closer to the sun, what happens? It's like first your clothes start catching fire, then your hair, then it's like whatever part of you is closest to the sun, your nose, it starts just frying. And at some point in time, and it's so tempting, just say, it's hot enough right here, I think I'm going to chill out. But the Christian life is walking one step closer, and with every step closer, the all-consuming fire burns off a little bit more of your flesh, like the refiner's fire, until the day you arrive and finally you are refined. You say, I don't like that imagery. 1 Corinthians 3. I mean, I'm not saying anything that's not throughout Paul's writings, throughout the scriptures in their entirety. Because, final point, this is the pattern. This is the pattern of the Christian life. Death, burial, resurrection. And guess what? It hurts. 1 Corinthians 15, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, it is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so are also, also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Okay. So look what he says. Resurrection is imperishable, it's glorious, it's powerful, it's spiritual, it's heavenly. Who doesn't want that? I mean, don't you want that? Isn't that what you're craving in your life? Not just if you're approaching the end of your days, but every moment of every day, don't you want what is imperishable, glorious, powerful, spiritual, heavenly? But what is our current reality? It's perishable, it's dishonorable, it's weak, it's natural, and it's of dust. Because like I said, everybody wants the resurrection, but nobody wants to die. And herein lies one of the main secrets of this life. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. You see, in this life, you will have failure, you will have weakness, and you will have death. But death is necessary to put on what comes next. And so what do you do? Do you just kind of mope around your life saying, well, I guess one day I'll have an imperishable body, and one day it will be glorious, and one day I won't... No, you don't have to be Eeyore. 
Death in Christ is the beginning, and your surrender to his lordship is what we do day by day. Death continues daily, and when we die to our desires today, we taste the resurrection today. When I intentionally choose to deny myself to enter into the death of Christ, then I experience today the power of the resurrection. I will experience it fully, not yet, but I can taste it today by choosing death. So in conclusion, in Philippians 2.5, the Apostle Paul instructs us to, quote, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about how Jesus humbled himself by taking on the likeness of sinful flesh, becoming obedient unto death. That is the mindset. Death, burial, resurrection. Humility before exaltation. Surrender before victory. This is the pattern of Jesus' life. Through and through. And in Christ, it is the pattern of your life as well. Death, burial, and resurrection. Not once, but over and over again. Because like I said, the normal Christian life is given over to many deaths. Dying to comfort, convenience, success, approval, ease, resentment, cynicism, and despair. Only to be resurrected again and again. Finding life in repentance, love, humility, vulnerability, trust, and hope. This is why Paul prays in Ephesians that they would know the power of of the resurrection because he knows they can't taste the power of the resurrection without choosing death. If you want to experience power, you must choose death to yourself, death to your own desires. See, because it's easy to think of the Christian life as one mountaintop experience to the next, but that is not our reality. The reality is that Jesus is slowly but surely making you like him through a plethora of death, burial, and resurrections. And this death to self, to embrace resurrection power, is done not in the context of huge events, but it's done in the context of traffic, of lost jobs, of crying babies, of sleepless nights and COVID quarantines. Each day dying and rising with Jesus to put us on a path of love. What does it look like practically? Choosing not to love your patience, choosing not to lose your patience when something happens that could justifiably make you upset. Choosing to sacrifice your own time to encourage someone else even though you feel like doing something else or have work to do. Going out of your way to reach out to someone who's hurting even though you're busy, introverted, or just don't feel like it. Ministering to a spouse or a child who is sick even though there are things you have to do, want to do, or are supposed to do. You see, it's crucifying our own desires daily and then embracing the life we're called to live. There's another biblical word for this. It's called repentance. To take off and to put on. These are the patterns that Paul describes that should be the normal Christian life. 
It is the pattern of Paul's teachings, death, burial, and resurrection. And what he does is he invites us. He says, follow me as I follow Christ. Where, Paul? Where are we following you? To where do we go? And his answer would be to the grave, only to be risen in power. So this week, when you sense yourself frustrated, annoyed, disenfranchised, envious, angry, filled with lust, bored, melancholic, or any other emotion that is not solely Christ-exalting, I want you to pause and ask yourself, what in me needs to die that I might experience the power of the resurrection? See, change doesn't happen as we sit around and think about our sin. It happens when we choose to die in the moment that he might pour out his resurrection power. This is 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man, but he is faithful. He will always provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. That's choosing death to self in the moment to embrace resurrection power. We put into practice, and he makes it effective for his glory and our good. I'm going to end here. I'm hoping that you guys can chat at your tables for five minutes or so. Look at those questions. Just a couple things to think about. One, make a note to read the Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote that is uh, in your table talk questions at some point in time. Two, if you want to learn more about this topic, um, one book you could read is The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Another book is called J-Curve by Paul Miller, which I haven't read yet, but I've been told it's very similar to the stuff that I'm talking about. And so I'd encourage you to read one of those two books. But I want you to wrestle with this. Where in your life do you feel the most desperate for the power of God to move? And how are you seeking resurrection power in this area without death as a prerequisite. Chat at your tables, and then I'll close us in a little bit.